Uh, cool. Just uh, as Mike said, uh, Romans four one to twenty. Uh, oh, one to twelve. Cool. Cool. <laughs> Uh, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but is as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawlessness deeds, uh, lawless deeds are forgiven and f- whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believed uh, without being circumcised, so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well and to not make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith uh, that our father Abraham um, had before he was circumcised. Yeah, so welcome to church, everyone. Circumcision week. How funny is that? On dedication day. Um, (laughs) I don't know when the last time was for you that you heard the word circumcision so many times. Um, but hey, welcome to church. Um, it is kind of, kind of amusing. We, especially because of Dedication Day as well, anyway. Um, my name is Mike. If you're visiting with us this morning, I know we have a few visitors with the dedications today, so if you're visiting, very special welcome. I will, I will mention what Peter said again as well. Um, if your kids are happy, if the little ones are happy in here, welcome to stay in the service if you want a, a, a creche. It's just there. Um, if you're new, new to our church, we are working our way through the book of Romans, one of the things we do as a church is we work our way through different books in the Bible because we want to be a church kind of shaped by the Bible more than kind of our own ideas about God. We want to let God speak to us. And so it's one of the things that we do in this church. And so uh, the book of Romans is where we are. Romans is a book, is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome 2,000 years ago, really explaining the guts of the Christian faith. What is essential to the Christian faith. And he's very concerned with explaining misconceptions or misunderstandings. And today's one of those weeks as well in our passage in Romans 4. He's trying to explain away a kind of a perversion of Christian, the Christian faith and instead point us towards the real thing. And so today what we are doing is we are learning about how it is that the Creator God has decided that He would interact with us his creation. That's a pretty significant thing. If you think about it, we're, we're asking the question, how is it that we relate to God? On what basis do we get to relate to God? What, what's the foundation of our relationship? On what, like, If God's going to set the rules of engagement for our relationship, what are those rules of engagement? What is the basis? And when we dig in to the book of Romans, we find that the answers are beautiful and glorious and bring us joy and hope. 
And so today what we're doing is we're picking up the action in chapter 4. So we've been in Romans for about 8 or 9 weeks already. So if you've missed those messages and you'd like to kind of learn more about the book of Romans, you can find all those messages on our podcast, just search Northern Baptist Church on the iTunes, um, or you can go onto our website as well. We've got them all there as well. And so all of our messages through Romans are there. Um, and we are going to pick up the story at a moment where Paul, the author, turns and he points back to a man named Abraham, a man who lived 2,000 years prior to Paul, right? So as far as we are removed from Jesus, Paul was removed from Abraham. So this is like an ancient figure that he's referring to at the time, right? So he's, we're talking about Abraham 4,000 years plus earlier than us, um, a man named Abraham. If you grew up in or around the church, or even just around church culture, you might remember the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord, right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot. What happens after that? I did, I, I, it all gets murky after that point for me. I remember the right arm, left arm, right arm, right left, like left leg, but then after that it's just like, and then just like have a dance party, whatever. Um, Abraham, Father Abraham, right? That song is it's actually kind of a great song in terms of like, the biblical theology behind Abraham. Anyway, we'll get, we're going to talk about that today. Abraham is a massive deal in the storyline of the Bible. He's incredibly important. He's the father of Israel. So the father of all Jews. He's, he's the patriarch, if you want to think about it in those terms. In fact, three world religions are going to point at Abraham and say, this man is the prototype of faith. And it's amusing because it's for different reasons. But um, three, three major religions are going to claim him as their prototype of faith. And so what Paul is doing in pointing to Abraham is he is kind of, um, he's trying to say something that long before Jesus walked the earth, God has been interacting with humanity in a particular way, under particular, in a particular paradigm. And today that's what we're going to be looking at. Um, let me also just pause to say that um, if you are new to church today and you've never heard about Abraham, um, some of these ideas might seem a bit odd and a bit, a bit, a little bit odd, I guess. But the message behind some of the detail is actually really simple. We're talking about faith, and so God really does want you to hear and understand this message. And so um, let's open up chapter chapter four, verse one. We're going to start with our first verse today, um, and see what we find. Ready? Verse one. He then he's just been talking about how it is that um, God saves us by faith, not through anything we do. And then he points to Abraham, and he says this, What then, shall we say, was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Um, so before we really go into kind of that question, we actually need to answer the question, who is Abraham? Where, like, what's his story? So we're just going to spend a little bit of time answering the question, who is this guy, and, and why is he such a big deal? Um, Abraham was a man named, no, he was a man living in a place called Ur, which is now my favorite name of a place. Because if you forget, you can just shrug. And they're like, uh, like, oh, you're right. Yeah, that's where you're from. Um, but then God, out of nowhere, comes and uh, meets with this man and says, Abraham, leave your house, leave your land, leave your family, leave your world, and go somewhere else. And I'll show you where. You, you just start walking, and I'll tell you where in a bit. This is the message God had to Abraham, but he doesn't just tell him to leave. He also promises, Abraham, um, God gives Abraham a promise that he will 
uh, have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky, hence that picture of Abraham. Uh, I believe that is actually a, a photo of him. Um, looking up at the night sky and, and receiving this promise from God, right? You can have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. And not just that, but through your line, God will bless, I will bless the earth. A promise of blessing. The whole world will be blessed through you, Abraham. And uh, what made this promise even more amazing was the fact that Abraham is already quite an old man. He's already around 75 years old. His wife would have been around 65 years old. Um, I'm not about to give you a lesson in biology. However, the odds are stacked against them at that point. Let's just say when it comes to having children, I actually looked it up. Or I found out what the world Guinness World Record is for the oldest woman to have a child. Um, does anyone want to just like throw out a number? Does anyone know? 60? 65? Who said 65? That was very good, very close. 66 is the answer. Um, 66 years old, right? And so uh, already these two, they haven't had any kids yet in their marriage, after decades of marriage, and now God is promising them a child. A child. What is it that Abraham of Ur does? Uh. What does Abraham do when he hears this promise? When he gets told to leave and when he receives his promise of a dynasty, really, he, the Bible says he, believed God. He trusted God. He had faith in that promise of God. He trusted that God would do the impossible thing and give him this giant family despite his age. This is the part of the story where we find out God's response to that faith as well. We see it in verse 3 there. It's up on the screen of Romans. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. We're going to come back to that. That's really, that's really important. We'll come back to that, though, because we're still telling the story at the moment. God counted it to him as righteousness. Um, so Abraham, uh, God calls Abraham to leave his home, his family, gives him this impossible promise of a massive family, that he'll be a blessing to the whole earth, that the whole world will be blessed through this man. And then God gives Abraham this sign of this promise, which is circumcision. This is where the circumcision comes into the story. It's going, to be the, it's going to be the sign of the promise, that we are the promise bearers, is, is basically what the, the, the sign of circumcision was. What we find out in the life of Abraham from that point moving forwards is that Abraham is far from a perfect man. Far from a perfect man. It's quite funny, though, because through history, he's kind of been painted as this like almost Jesus-like figure, right? That he's this perfect moral being. In fact, there's some ancient writing, ancient Jew Jewish writings that came before Paul that would say this kind of thing. So let me read you one. This is the Book of Jubilee, which is a famous Hebrew uh, Jewish writing. This is not the Bible. I'll just clarify that. I've got the little thing on the screen there. Not the Bible. This is what it says. Abraham was perfect in all his dealings with the Lord. And he gained favor by his righteousness throughout his life. This is the way Abraham was viewed in the Jewish culture. And Paul is writing kind of to counter that view, I guess. Um, the Bible says, no chance that is the case. Um, you may know the story. If you know Abraham's life story, he's got a couple of uh, shockers that he, he made. Um, you might remember one. Uh, we might call it the sister incident. This one, this one is pretty messy. Uh, he had a couple, but this is one. Um, 
is the time where Abraham was such a coward that he offered his wife to a king so that they wouldn't kill him. He pretended that she was his sister, not his wife, effectively kind of giving permission to the king to take her again to save his own bacon. Um, Bible says that his wife is a, a 10, straight 10, right, stunner, and, that, the, uh, and that, that got Abraham into a lot of trouble a couple of times, having a beautiful wife. And so one time he was in this foreign land in a place called uh, Gerar. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm surely not. And Abraham's worried that the king's going to take his, his, his wife. And so he forms this plan. You know what? We'll, we'll tell everyone we're not married so that they won't kill me just to take you. Uh, instead, we'll just kind of we'll just pretend that we're not married and that this isn't a thing. And that way they'll let me live. Long story short, that didn't work out well. And I'm sure that that story got brought up again and again in future marriage fights. Hey, <laughs> and everyone that's married says, yes, that's probably what happened here. Yeah. Hey, Abraham, remember that time <laughs> when you were a coward? Um, yeah, that's, that's one. There was another one, though, actually. Um, there was another one where after years of waiting, so fast forward decades after this promise, hey, Abraham, you're going to have a, a son. You're going to be the father of nations. The whole world's going to be blessed through you. Fast forward many, many, many years, and the baby hasn't come. We're still waiting on a child. There is no child. And uh, his wife comes up with the genius idea of, hey, why don't you sleep with the maid, get her pregnant so we can get this, so that you can have a son, right? Abraham goes through with it and gets the maid pregnant. So the first baby he has is not a legitimate child. It's an illegitimate child through the maid. Um, That's a mess. What would happen is that eventually they would get the child, Isaac. And so now you've got two sons, the older illegitimate one and the younger one, through Sarah. Again, such a mess. And the Bible's not going to skirt around these kind of stories. It's going to be like, and there they are. That's what happened. He was not a perfect man. Certainly not like the Jubilee says, that he was perfect in all his dealings. Definitely not the case, right? The Bible doesn't gloss over the reality of sin, of these, these heroes of the faith that are anything but heroes because they're not perfect. They're not moral heroes. Their lives are messy. In fact, some of their screw-ups are really colossal. They impact generations of people. No, Abraham was not perfect. He was not right, perfectly righteous. He was just a garden-variety sinner like you and me. That's Abraham. That's Abraham. And I think if we understand that part of the story, if we understand that about Abraham, we should be deeply encouraged. Deeply encouraged because God comes and blesses this man. God comes and blesses this man, not because he's awesome, but because God is the kind of God who does that. He's the kind of God who comes to bless the undeserving. He's come to bless the undeserving. God wanted to show Abraham mercy and grace and kindness, and so he did, warts and all. And in the same way, God wants to come and show us mercy, kindness, grace, forgiveness, because that is who he is, warts and all. And so that's, that's some of Abraham's story. Again, there's a lot more that happens in his life. We won't go deeper than that. But just to say, God blessed this man, not because he was awesome. And in Romans, Paul points back to Abraham to be his ace in the hole, right? He's just been talking about this idea kind of theologically and like, you know, hypothetically up in the clouds, and now he's going to bring it down to the bring it down to earth for us and say, hey, everyone, look at Abraham. This is my poster child for faith. 
And again, poster child for faith. It seems strange to say, really, because Abraham's hardly the kind of man you want your children to emulate. Like, as we just said, get the maid pregnant. Yeah. Hand over your wife to powerful men to save your bacon. No, this is... And yet, he is the poster child for faith. Listen to his point. Back to verse 1. What shall we say is gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For, he goes to argue, for if Abraham was justified, justified means uh, made righteous, declared righteous, made right with God, if he was uh, reconciled to God because of, um, brought into relationship with God, this is what justified means, if he was justified by works, by something that he did, by something that he, um, by his own performance, by his own morality, by his spirituality, if he did something to be made right with God, he has something to boast about. But not for God. He, he just wants to clarify that he doesn't. He really doesn't. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, the, the key word in our text today is this word counted. Okay, it shows up 10 times in, in the chapter. I've got a slide there with, all, with, with it highlighted if you want to throw that up. Um, so you can see it's kind of, it's kind of everywhere. It's the Greek word legitsomai, uh, which means counted. It means uh, credited, counted as, reckoned as, that kind of idea. It's an, it's an encounting term. Um, here's what's going on. Here's what this word's trying to communicate to us, right? It's saying that when Abraham believed the crazy promise of God that he couldn't fulfill himself, although he tried with the maid, remember? When he took that promise as faith, by faith, it says that God credited it to him, counted it to him as righteousness. Credited his faith to him as righteousness. It was credited to his account, so to speak. He was not declared righteous by any good deeds that he did not by his own special spiritual moral kind of superiority over other people. It was his faith, his trust in the promise. That, that's what did it. That's what made him right with God. Faith. Faith. Friends, this is the game changer. This is the paradigm of grace. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world that has ever come and gone, and from every distortion of... of this is what separates true authentic biblical Christianity from every kind of distorted version of Christianity as well that do exist in the world today. Grace. Paul, he's going to keep going, making his case, okay? He says this. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Do you see what he's saying there? It's, it's pretty, pretty clear. If, like, I think we all, if, if you have a job, you know this. If you've ever worked a job, Right? That last paycheck you got. If you just think about that last paycheck, or maybe let's go the first paycheck you ever got, because that one was pretty exciting. When you got that paycheck, did you read the, like, the, the number that's going into your account and go, I can't believe it. They're actually giving me money for working. That's amazing. I can't believe they, they would give me money. I can't believe that that is the case. I don't know about you, but I wasn't shocked the first time I got my paycheck. That's not true. I was shocked at how much the tax man took. That was definitely, that was definitely, I'm sure that you remember that shock. But I wasn't shocked that I got anything. I wasn't like, oh, wow, this is so kind of them. can't believe that they would actually give me money for working as hard as I worked. No, no, no one here is filled with ex- gratitude for receiving wages. It's illegal not to give you the wages if you work, right? 
No one's thankful for the wages if we earned it ourselves. It's, it's, it's not a gift. You don't have to go thank your boss. Be like, hey, I just want to say, I just really appreciate that you actually paid me last week. That was just, it meant so much for me uh, after I've been busting my gut for you all week. It's like, no, you don't have to go thank your boss. You can if you want to, but you don't have to. He owes you that money. Um, hey, can we do a little bit of audience participation time? I've got a room full of visitors, so that's a thing, I know. Um, I need just one volunteer just quickly. Does anyone want to volunteer to just come stand here for like one second? Yes, Catherine, come on. Ready? There you go. It's 10 bucks. That's all. Um, that was a $10 note if you didn't see that at the back, right? Um, now, question time. Was that wages or was that a gift? Gift, right? You didn't work for me, I just, I just gave you the money, right? Um, purely gift, right? Although you did do the communion chat, so no. Um, no, that, that was a gift, which means, is there any, are you able to boast to anyone else about, hey, look, look at the money that I got? No. She didn't do anything to do it, so she doesn't get to boast about the gift, because you don't get to boast about a gift, you just receive a gift, right? That's what a gift is. And listen, this is the way that God has chosen to deal with us. This, what just happened there, that's how God deals with us. He gives us not what we deserve, but what we do not deserve. He gives us grace. He deals with us not on the basis of our earning anything, but on the basis of his kindness alone. Isn't that amazing? He says, verse 5, to the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly. That phrase, so important. To the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly. Friends, that is me. I'm the ungodly. God justifies me through faith. His faith is counted as righteousness. This is what God does. He justifies the ungodly. He declares righteous those who are not. Why? Because on the basis of their faith alone. Back in chapter 3 of Romans, we spent a lot of time hearing how all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is the pronouncement of the Bible over us all, that we have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That every person falls short of not even, not even God's standard of morality, but our own. Like We don't even pass the what do we think we should do. We don't even pass our conscience test about how we should live. But then we learned that God has made a way for us to become righteous through faith as a gift. Received grace. Received righteousness. We used the big word last week, the big theology word, justification, really important word. Justification. To be justified means this. It comes up a couple of times in our text today, doesn't it? It means that God treats me as if I have never sinned. He treats me as if I have never sinned, and just as if I have always obeyed him perfectly. That's how he deals with me. That's how he treats me. As if I have never sinned, and just as if I have always obeyed. That's what justification is. He looks upon my life and he says, I am righteous. Not through my own efforts, but through faith in Christ. That's what we're hearing today. And then what he does in verse 6 is he goes on to quote the great King David, who's like, there's two guys in the Old Testament you want to quote. It's Abraham and it's David. His other haste in the hole, he says this. This is David's words, speaking again, another thousand years after Abraham. He says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one 
to whom God counts righteous, apart from his works, not on the basis of his works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Um, we're just going to, last few verses, quickly make one really important point that I don't want us to miss. Uh, this is where all the circumcision chat comes in, and so we're going to move quite quickly through this. Um, he's making one really important point in verses 9 to 12. What he's saying is that the sequence of events really matters. The, the order, of, or order of Abraham's life really matters. Again, we know this. We know that order matters. We can't just do things out of order, right? Like, for example, when you get up in the morning, Underpants first, then pants. That order matters. Like, if you get that wrong, you might as well not have worn underpants, I don't think. Right? Uh, it's in the name as well, right? It's underpants. Underpants, right? Uh, no, the, the order really matters when you're getting dressed, right? Underpants first, then pants. Really important. It kind of it defeats the purpose if they're out of order, right? Um, same thing with scones, right? What is it? Say it with me. Jam first, then cream. Yeah, you're right. Well done, everyone. <laughs> um, same with making tea. Milk does not go first. Oh, whoa. Oh, wow. Do we have anyone from the motherland that can, um, anyway. Um, order matters. That's what I'm getting at, right? In the same way, Paul here, he's going to just, he's going to spend a long time laboring this for us, really laboring. The order of Abraham's life matters. For, he says, shall we say, or for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? The big question, did God bless Abraham before or after he obeyed the ritual of circumcision? Before or after? Before or after he obeyed? It was not after, but before. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith when he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. That's us. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of faith that our, our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Again, we're just going to focus on one big idea here, not all the little bits and pieces in there. Um, Abraham believed first, and it was counted to his, him as righteousness, and then he obeyed the sign of circumcision. That order of events, which means he didn't get blessed on the basis of his obedience. That's what he's trying to say. It wasn't because he got circumcised that he got blessed. He had already been blessed previously. That's what happened. That's the idea. Faith preceded the obedience. So important for us to understand that. We should never think that God blessed Abraham because he was the righteous man who was perfect, or whatever Jubilee said, right? That he was perfectly righteous in every, every, every aspect of his life. No, the order of Abraham's life matters because it is the order of my life and the order of your life if you are a Christian here today. If you're not a Christian here today, it's also the order, it can be the order of your life, right? That you receive the gift of grace before you obey anything that God has commanded. By faith first. Faith comes first. Faith must come first. Why? So that we do not boast because the way God deals with us is as through grace as a gift, not through our earning anything. And so we're just going to Finish up here with two principles about faith, uh, which we've already kind of drawn out a little bit, but I just want to spend a little bit more time on them. Two principles of faith that we learn from this passage. 
Firstly, faith comes first. And secondly, faith is a transfer of trust. What, it, what is faith? It's a transfer of trust. So we've, we've already said this, right? Faith comes first. We are made right because, not because of anything we do, but because God has declared us righteous first by faith. Which means it's a gift, not a wage, not a payment. No, Abraham, like Abraham, your acceptance before God comes through faith in Jesus, what Jesus has done for us on our behalf, not through our works. Theologian G.I. Packer, he says this, um, the late J.I. Packer now, pretty sure. Um, Nobody can produce new evidence of your depravity that will make God change his mind. God justified you with this, with his eyes wide open. He knew the worst about you at that time when he accepted you for Jesus' sake. And the verdict which he passed then was and is final. Final. God knew it all about you when he went to the cross. When Christ died for you, he knew the worst of you. He knew the worst. And that verdict, that righteous verdict, that can be yours through faith, was and is final. And today can be final for you as well. If you haven't yet received that gift, you can take it now through prayer, opening up your heart to Christ, receiving that gift. No, because of the cross, what do we say justification means? God treats us just as like, just as if we had never sinned and just as if we've always obeyed. That is the message of the faith. Secondly, faith is a transfer of trust. It's the end of one kind of trust and the begin, uh, the start, the beginning of a new kind of trust, right? It's the end of trust in ourselves. It's the end of trust in our own efforts. It's the end of our trust in our own kind of intelligence, our record, our abilities, our, 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 our ability to kind of work it out and f- figure it out before God. No, it's the end of all that. We put all that down and we receive Jesus. Christian is someone who has ceased to trust in ourselves, themselves, and has begun to trust in Christ alone. That is the difference. This is, this is actually quite different from just believing that God is there, right? I think there are many people in Australia today who think that they're Christians because they believe that God is there. They might even believe uh, that God is good and that Jesus died for, for sin, died for their sin. You can believe those things. Satan himself believes those things too, though. Satan knows that God is there. Satan knows that Jesus died for sin. Satan knows that God is good. He doesn't have faith. He doesn't have faith. Of course he doesn't. He knows those things intellectually, and yet he's not a Christian. He doesn't have faith. So what is faith? What is it? If it's just different from believing something is is true. Faith is a transfer of trust. Uh, I'm not sure if any of us have been on a plane for a long time. I'm sure I haven't. I haven't been on a plane for a long time. But I don't know if you remember ever getting on a plane. When you go on a plane, right, there's a big difference from kind of knowing intellectually the physics of flight, right? Like you can read a textbook and understand that thrust and lift and aerodynamics and, you know, make this massive aluminium tube go up in the sky. You're like, that's amazing if you think about it. There's a difference between like knowing that that's how a plane works and then actually walking on a plane and strapping yourself in, putting yourself 
like tying yourself to the belief of those things. What you're saying when you strap yourself in is this, if this plane goes down, I am going down with the plane, right? That is, that is a step of faith that is different from just knowing about how a plane works. No, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a trust. It's trust in that plane to work. And friends, today maybe it is time for you to take a step of trust in the Lord. Maybe it's time to um, take a step of faith like Abraham did when he believed the crazy promise of God. Friends, God has made crazy promises to us too. One crazy promise he's made to us is that we will be justified by faith. That's a, that's a crazy promise. On the basis of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, we will be made righteous through nothing that we do, but just believing that that promise is true for us. That is a massive step of faith. So I want to ask you a question today. What, what does a step of faith look like for you today? What is maybe God calling you into today? What is he calling you into today? What, what, what would a step forwards look like for you? Like Abraham, he, who was called into the unknown, is just told to start walking and I'll show you where you're going, right? What does the first step of that journey look like for you? For some of us today, maybe the first step would be actually to pray for the very first time. To pray to your creator in faith. Believing that he's there. Believing that he justifies the ungodly like us. Let's pray. Well, Father, what a gift, what a gift you have given us in Jesus. What a gift. Gift of forgiveness, gift of new life, gift of a a gift that we can't earn, a gift we can't boast in, a gift given to us who do not deserve anything from your hand, Lord, yet you have been so kind, so good. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have made a way for us to be reconciled to our Creator, to come back into relationship with our Creator, to know him deeply to walk with him day by day, to have that security that comes from knowing that it is not because we earned anything, but because we've been declared, made, counted as righteous through nothing but our believing the promise that you've given us. Lord, I pray for us today who uh, maybe are hearing this for the very first time maybe those of us who have always thought of Christianity as the endless rules, the endless impossible burden of trying to live up to this moral standard. Lord, today would you reveal to them through the story of Abraham, Lord, that faith comes first. And yes, you're going to get in there and you're going to do work in our hearts and in our lives and you're going to change us, Lord, but not the reason that we, we, are, we find ourselves in a relationship with you, Lord. We don't clean ourselves up first. Lord, faith comes first. And yes, we stumble forwards. And yet you've always been there. Pick us back up. Remind us who we are, sons and daughters of the Father Most High. To remind us that our identity isn't 
anchored in our efforts, in our, in our achievements, Lord. The world, that's what the world tells us. We're only as, as valuable as what we can produce. Lord, you tell us we're valuable because you made us. You've set your image on us, your mark. You're calling us home to be with you forever. Well, thank you so much for those great gifts. I pray for those of us in this room right now who are um, wrestling with you, Lord. I pray that you would put your hand upon them, Lord, and, and um, reveal yourself to them. Yeah. Holy Spirit, be at work today, I pray. And it's the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray all of these things. Amen. All right. Thank you very much.